Boys, I got second place poker last night. I was freaking amped. Oh. Yeah, it was a roller coaster of a poker night for myself, ups and downs. We're actually a crypto poker tournament thing, <laughs> so you only bet in crypto. Block, blockchain, strictly. <laughs> wow, has someone started this? Could start it. playing uh what five texas hold'em whatever the standard and i get like two pairs and i go for it i'm like going i'm going in hard throwing money down because i was like these chumps have nothing they're just trying to bluff which is basically what half the friend group does is usually just bluff (laughs) and uh early on it was like damn these people had like one like i had kings and twos or something and they'd have kings and threes it's like are you kidding me how how so I lost a lot in the beginning, but then I uh, stormed back, had a big couple big wins, and found myself in second. It was huge. How, how long? How long were you guys playing? Four hours had to been started at like seven thirty eight, ended around twelve thirty. Best hand. Best hand. <laughs> I don't know about it was a great hand. I had some pocket rockets that then got screwed because basically a straight just came up on the on all the flops, and I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Pocket rockets, and I got a fold because I know someone has a straight. So that was brutal. But I had I actually had a king four situation in my hand, and I I usually stay in if I have a face card because you know what the hell. And um, I had a king on the first three, so I had a pair of kings, and I was like, I'm going for it. And the guy that kept staying in, who we call he was a whale at the time, had a lot of chips, and I was like, this dude bluffs. Like I, we know he bluffs. So I was like. He was throwing in big money, like six bucks, eight bucks. I was like, dude, you're lying. You just want me to fold. I know you're lying. He actually had king twos, a pair of kings and twos. And the final card was a four for me on the flip. So I had kings fours. And nice. he had just thrown down $10 on the table. And I was like, he's lying. And I matched him. <laughs> and uh, I barely escaped with a big dub on that one. That's exciting. The turn. The turn came in clutch. It did, and, and un, unbeknownst to me, it was so important because I was like, oh, look, an added card, sick, I got that double, but I thought my kings would beat him regardless. So Not, not only are we giving out lessons in soccer, we're giving out lessons in poker today from yeah. the Mr. Poker himself. Would you would you be up for a poker tournament here, or yeah. are you trying to stay out of that game? I do, that? I do a poker tournament. I mean, if we're talking low, low stakes, like 10 bucks a hand, if we're playing like 5, 10, it's like, you know. Maybe over the course of the night, someone wins four or five thousand bucks. If we were talking, if we were playing with like real money, I'd be scared. Because <laughs> then, you, then, then you'd be scared about getting cooked. You'd be scared about yeah. being too into it. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Right, right. And you ruin friendships. You take everyone's money. You ruin. You, you burn those bridges. That's why you moved to Chicago. You couldn't. You're not allowed on the East Coast anymore. East Coast. Well, it was the Minnesota poker poker tour that really <laughs> oh, that's ruined it. it for me. Yeah, I got you. Why yeah. do you think Eli's never been up here? He can't come. <laughs> He's not up allowed, here. right? Yeah, I haven't <laughs> been up there since 2012 when right. that happened. That's right. Wow, 2012. Yeah, you were very. Young. I was a youngster. <laughs> I was a youngster. That's why it's sort of like um, Balls of Fury, the ping pong movie we mm-hmm. watched recently. Mm-hmm. It. I basically made the Olympics of poker when I was 16. <laughs> yep, and then. Sadly, burned all those bridges. Are you? Did you just suggest that poker should be in the Olympics? 
I feel like that's what I just heard indirectly there is yeah. why isn't poker in the Olympics? Yeah. It should it be a summer or a winter sport? Heated poker. It's just hot as hell in the room. <laughs> Sweating buckets. That'd be funny. Um, or they're like poolside. <laughs> people <laughs> racing and they're just splashing onto the table. That's what TV's going to turn into. It's like we have to get all audiences involved in this sporting event. And it's like poker next to swimmer swimming so you get all the different people watching you can you can select on your tv which camera you want to view like show me the poker table camera and Honestly, just for like like pro bowl like uh, nfl pro bowl kind of stuff if they did something like that they, they would do that right they would have events big enough separate events happening at the same time you tune into what you want and you just and and, and like have one in the foreground and one in the background and like i would watch you know, Peyton Manning play whomever in poker while mic'd people, up. right, exactly, mic'd up. And then the background, you could toggle or zoom in. Every once in a while, they turn and they're watching, you know, the field behind them as opposed to the, the poker table itself. I'd be interested. It's like um, concert going. It's like, okay, you can go to the main stage or you can go to these other separate stages with maybe lesser known artists. But hey, check them out if you want to. It's up to you. It's your experience. So on the TV, you just choose which uh, camera you want. I think we're onto something. I think can't, uh, television, normal television, is becoming quickly outdated. We gotta, we gotta up, up their game. All this is absolutely staying in. So poker check. What else we got to talk about today? Great question you ask. We are the Footy Fellows. We're gonna be chatting about the U.S. World Cup men's World Cup qualifying games. The action we, we chatted about and prefaced last week is underway. So we got to break that down. And we've also got some transfers across the pond, some big time transfers in the EPL that we need to talk about because it's going to change the landscape of Prem in the second half of the season. Let's start with the U.S. We just watched that U.S.-Canada game to no loss for our boys. I see initial impressions on the game. Yeah, I caught, I caught a chunk of it. And I thought that we were playing... Pretty well. I thought, I thought it was a bit more controlled than the El Salvador game a couple days ago. thought we were passing a little bit better. It looked like we had um, more composure on the ball, less sprinting, chaotic, uh, final third energy. That, that, that was a little better, looked better. But yeah, I just didn't think that we had the, you know, the, the finishing, the final couple passes, couple sequence to get, to get good quality shots on goal, which... Um, something that we need to work on for sure. Is that what you saw, Jones? Yeah, the, it seemed like that final third was really missing for the U.S. Um, you know, 2-0 loss looks worse than it is, I think, in reality. Um, uh, tough, perhaps, to say that, you know, we're the away team, so the expectations were a little bit lower to absolutely leave with a win, um, and a draw would have really felt like a, a decent accomplishment. Um, that said, you know, credit to Canada, they came out and battled and were a very tough team to um, really work through, be it the midfield or the final third, and they capitalized on their opportunities. So, you know, was the U.S. not as impactful or as um, clinical as they could have been? Yes. Um, Were they missing pieces that could have uh, helped unlock that Canadian back line? Yes. Uh, but all in all, it doesn't feel like it's a huge setback for, for this U.S. team. Just one that we hope that they learn from um, and continue to grow uh, and, and, and grow on. I don't think there was anything too toxic that came out of it. Um, 
uh, it just doubles how important the next game against Honduras will be. To both of your points, the U.S. dominated possession, 64% possession, had 13 shots and three on target to Canada's eight shots, four on target. Canada just finished, one of them being in the 94th minute when the game was already over. But that first goal, the U.S. let up for a moment. Laps, laps in concentration, bad goal kick from Matt Turner, quick counterattack, 1-2, and Canada scored in the sixth minute or seventh minute. And the U.S. just couldn't put something together. It definitely felt like a maybe a game plan deficit with Burhalter losing out on that one to John Herdman, the Canada coach who's been getting a lot of praise in our, our group chats with some friends. So Canada's strategy of just counterattacking worked against the U.S.'s ineffective springing it out wide every time slowly and trying to go at Canada's outside backs with Pulisic and uh, whoever came on later in the game. It just wasn't that effective. It was frustrating to watch the U.S. slowly trickle the ball around the back line. It seemed that that Canada set in almost that Christmas tree looking formation where it had a singular singular point at the tip. And then, you know, while we would have our wide backs push up wide, high and wide, and I think we had some success against El Salvador with, you know, the driven cross field ball. We weren't hitting any of these long cross diagonal pings. And instead it was it was worked around the back and it gave time for Canada to shift and and get back into formation and, and their low block, uh, which was in, kind of frustrating to watch. Um, but it also just reinforced um, that, you know, the how critical it is that you stay alert 90 minutes of a game. Because if you are a favorite, especially if you are a favorite, and you are going and you are the away team, and you give up a goal against a team who is going to play the counterattack the whole game, they are going to sit back. Well, you know, they are mentally prepared for the siege mentality. If you give them a goal in the first 10 minutes, you know. They double down. That's like that plays perfectly into their their, their game plan regardless. Exactly. What they would have been doing. Exactly. And so... You know, end of the day, you can really only blame the U.S. for being at fault for that. It wasn't even a pass out of the back; it was a proper goal kick, technically, and they still conceded. Um, but yes, hard hard to watch at times uh, as as an American. What do we think about Yasi Zardes starting over Ricardo Pepe? That's one of the lineup changes that might get some scrutiny after this game. Yeah, I think it should be. I think rightfully scrutinized. I think that Zardes hasn't produced uh, nearly as much as maybe one would hope as a starter. Pepe's young. I think there's only more upside to starting Pepe versus his artist. Younger, get his get experience under his belt. He's got more potential, I would say, going, you know, uh, as a young star. So uh, I think I, w- I would expect him to start next game on Tuesday here in the lovely state of Minnesota. Whoa, 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 boo. I switched between Woot and the beep, 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 you. So I went, whoa, 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 you. Loved it. Thank you. Thank you. I'll just replace that with an actual sound effect. Being this. Beep, 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 you. Feel good? You feel good about that one? I feel good about the second one. Do you guys think that was good? I'll cut this part out. Do you guys think I should replace the first one with that one? The first part was, I like the, I like the first one too. I don't think, I think anything you do, honey, is great. Okay. And that's all that matters. I Thank needed you. that. Yeah. It's been a tough day. Thank you. It has been. 
It has been a tough day. Well, agreed with your take, Ice. Pepe should be back in the lineup against Honduras. Jones, you had some qualms with our free kick taking ability and potentially the free kick taker himself, Captain America. What, what what went wrong? Why shouldn't he be taking free kicks? You put Pulisic in your lineup because he's a dynamic, very fast, technical dribbler. He gets into tight spaces, he's a great touch, and his balance allows him to glide past players, fit into tight zones, and help really disrupt a back line, which is critical to unlock any type of athletic, low block kind of set team. But he's not known as a great shooter. He he's a good he's a good finisher supposedly in in the box. He can find these moments and get a get a get a good um, jab in there, if you will. But he he doesn't he doesn't exude the finesse and uh, and power that one looks for in a in a, in a truly talented free kick taker. Um, yeah, he's young. I mean, you can make the argument he's young. He can still improve there, which he will. I hope. But at the moment, it's hard for me to believe that Pulisic is really our best free kick taker. And if anything, whenever we do have a free kick, I just strongly, um, I, I get like this acid reflux kind of thing. My body rejects the idea of him taking a free kick because any free kick I've seen him take for the U.S., has just always looked a little off. It doesn't look like it's really actually going to threaten the goal. He's had some closer ones before, um, but I, I really have to believe the U.S. has some better free kick taker. If anything, it feels super American that you would have a lot of these kids practicing their free kicks. Like it's very solo, you know, it's like your free throw kind of um, thing, or it feels like a, it just feels like, I don't know, it just feels very American that you'd have people who are just oddly really good at free kicks. <laughs> and the fact that Pulisic is really our best one, the one that really frustrated me though was uh, that one that was, you know, like 35, 40 yards out, dead center of the field. That was purely like, it was clearly set up for a, a lobbed ball in the box, a, a cross. It was dead on straight, you know, forward, um, you know, so so it had to be angled. But regardless, instead of doing that, Pulisic thought that he saw the goalie out. And so he took a shot at goal, which, you know, maybe if he's, you know, if it was anyone else, I'd be like, okay, maybe clever. Maybe he saw something there. But because it's him, I'm thinking to myself, no, he has this mentality that he's good at free kicks, that he could really make that happen. And and look, as a killer, you you need your players like that. You need them to always think, oh, I am the best. I can make this happen. But he also needs to recognize like his own limits, his own limitations. And in this scenario, I have to believe he just isn't the right person to be putting on set on free kicks. I love that take, Jones. I, I put a lot of blame on Burhalter. I think it's a part of... He needs to own the team. He needs to put players in positions that will be successful to the team as, as a whole. Chelsea At Chelsea, Pulisic doesn't take free kicks, period. Yes, Chelsea has a lot of talent and depth, sure. But I've, I've never seen him kind of be... Um, he's not a big crosser. That's not what he does. He dribbles, right? That's his, that's his forte. So he takes it in the box, gets touches, pokes it around, finds someone, and they, they get it in. So... I think I agree with you. I mean, Berhalter's got to understand his team and, and better and what players, what their preferences are and what they're best at. And and having Pulisic, even if he demands to be the free kick taker, you got to lay, you got to, you're the coach, you're the manager. You got to draw the line and say, that's not what we want you to do. You're better here or there. Um, so I think it's a lot of blame on Berhalter. One, not knowing 
what the team needs at certain instances and two, not being demanding enough of you know, who, who has to do what giving people their assignments. I think about Liverpool. I know, I know Liverpool shut up max, but uh, <laughs> what uh, every free kick, every dead ball, Robertson or Trent, and it just depends on what side of the field it's on either an in swinger, right? In swinger left. That's it. Period. Everyone knows their role. And uh, the USA team does not have that sense of uh, responsibility yet. It's a great point. Knowing their role. That's that's the the piece Jones and I watching the game couldn't really describe. Why doesn't the U.S. team with this amount of talent on paper, why aren't they scoring? Why does it still feel like they're missing something? And that's at least a part of what they're missing is everyone knowing their role or Burhalter knowing everyone's role to put guys in positions to succeed. He's putting probably the most talented team he could possibly field on the team to, on the field to start the game, minus the Zardes for Pepe conversation. That's one you can have. But to have three midfielders that are all sort of defensively minded guys Musa could be more attacking but they're just not set up formation wise with players looking to check into spaces play dangerous balls like at least some people have to be given the directive look this is your role like we have Tyler Adams sitting back McKenney getting forward on set pieces but otherwise he's also kind of sitting back and controlling patrolling the midfield somebody's role needs to be if it's Pulisic checking in from the side to fill that center space center attacking mid space great but he's out wide. The other guys are out wide. It's a combo of perhaps poor game planning and also guys not knowing their role enough to adjust on the fly. And they, they look okay. Like they looked fine. They possessed a lot. They didn't get too many dangerous chances. They couldn't finish. They'll be all right against Honduras. They should win. They'll make the World Cup hopefully with five games left or six games left. But it's a little worrying still to see this sort of performance in the the 10th game of their World Cup qualifying against Canada. There is a, um, it, to both of your points about uh, Greg Berhalter and where, what kind of level of responsibility we can grant him. Um, uh, with any of his decisions, I have to imagine he is playing this game of not just coach, but also like father figure role and that he's got a team of kids that he's essentially coaching. And so, you know, allowing Pulisic to take these kicks, because clearly, you know, if he's, if he's a decent coach, you know, those are things he talks. I would hope that they talk about who's on point for corners, who's taking free kicks and stuff. So he, to your point, I see he appoints that. Um, And I wonder if he also acknowledges, look, I know as Greg Borhalter, one, we also don't know what practice is like. We don't know if Pulis is actually is the best one, but say that he's not or whatever. Burhalter could be just saying like, hey, like I need my guys to be confident. I need them to grow and be better players. And so this is a learning experience. We're going to get better and better. As long as we qualify, that's ultimately the end goal. Let's do that. But we need to learn into that. We need to grow into we're building a plane as we're flying in the air kind of you know jargon, which that's kind of what we see unfolding in front of us a little bit. But um, and, uh, we're also acknowledging the gaps that are clearly present here. And for me, I would be really curious to see what this team looks like. If we get Reina back in the mix, does that solve some of our final third, uh, lock picking, if you will, um, you know, because that's really what it feels like the U S is going to need to break down these type of teams that said someone to throw in the mix here, the U S ain't going to be playing like mid to low level teams in the world cup. They won't be the team that's possessing the crap out of the ball. They'll be playing much more back and forth, you know, which may favor the U S and, and counter attacking styles as it seems to, you know, have played out for Canada today. It's an interesting take. 
Yeah, it does seem like generally in, in those big tournaments, when we do play against really high quality national teams, we're more of the defensive minded, parking the bus esque type type style of play. Which, you know, I think USA fans and, and us probably want to stop seeing going forward and we've got the talent, but it seems like it's been that way for a while where we sort of sit back and let it come to us and take advantage when we can going counterattack style. Our problem goes back decades to when that show, The Magic School Bus, came out because that's when we started parking the bus, and I'm sick of it. The fact that people still watch that show and refer to parking the bus as a very U.S. quality or that we look like magic out there when we park the bus pisses me off. Is that really, you're going to, that's your hill you're going to die That's the hill I'm going to die yeah, on. Okay. And I've seen that show or movie or, or cartoon. I've seen it. This magic school bus. You sound like a very uninformed boomer. <laughs> Who's getting interviewed on CNN to talk about the, the return of the magic school bus because right. he's seen it. Right. <laughs> Quote unquote, seen it. To give Berhalter some credit before we quickly touch on Canada, he has the highest winning percentage of any U.S. coach ever through 46 games or 48 games, however many they've played so far. They mentioned that on the broadcast. So props to him and even more props to Canada who my dad texted me about earlier saying, where did Canada come from? Why are they good now? And I said, well, they have a mix of vets and young players. They've won five on the bounce in world cup qualifying, beating Panama, Costa Rica, Mexico, Honduras, USA. They are first in the group. They're undefeated in the group, six wins, four draws. They are ranked 40th in the world right now, which is their highest ranking of all time. And this feeling of, oh, have they been good for a while? Is it just recently? They've only been to the World Cup once, and it was in 1986. So this is huge for them. The fact that they're so good right now, and a lot of it probably helps to have that that coach, John Herdman, who's had a positive influence on the, the program, but they've got some young talent. Davies wasn't even playing today. Taj Buchanan. They've got some vets, Kay in the middle, and uh, Osorio, and David, Jonathan David. They're doing they're doing well for themselves. Props to Canada. Yeah, no, they they should be very excited for the the World Cup that they are going to qualify for. I don't know if this mathematically makes it um, over, but but they are almost. They are definitely almost. going to be there, um, and uh, and that's incredibly exciting. It always it it makes me think back to when Egypt had qualified for the last World Cup, and that it had been twenty plus you know twenty eight years or whatever, and they're holding up Salah and all that stuff, and and the U S missing out. And, and now the U S you know, potentially being back in the mix again, it's only it, to your point, it's going to be like eight years since the U S last played in a world cup. And that feels like a long time long time. So can you imagine 35 you know, years, an entire lifetime? We would have never seen a world. We would have never been able to watch our country in a world cup. Crazy. We might not even yeah. be here talking about soccer if the U S wasn't in any world cups for us growing up. Yeah, I'll just say one one quick thing too is the Canadian uh, women's team winning the gold medal in the Olympics was kind of shocking, and kudos to them. They've got they've just got the full breadth of talent uh, all across soccer uh, in the country right now. They're really they're really on a high. Golden generation this is sort of reminiscent of UConn basketball in two thousand and seven <laughs> or eight when both the men and women's teams won the ship. Good times. <laughs> That's actually who they're modeling their success after. Oh, really? Is that I've heard, really? I think I heard a quote on the Magic School Bus show <laughs> where 
the coach said, have you seen the UConn 2008 documentary when the men and women's team won? So, you know. Yeah, John John Herdman's following um, <laughs> Gino or Ar- Ar- Ariema. Yeah, there he yeah. <laughs> His whole philosophy, which is uh, get the ball in the hoop, get that's it what, in, and that's what he says. Yeah, get it in. <laughs> Good things will happen. Score points. That's what they're doing in the World Cup qualifying group in the Ocho, as uh, as the announcers kept calling it. Hilarious. ESPN the Ocho. <laughs> Let's go to let's go to transfer news, Jones. What have you got for us? What do you want to drop on us or icy? I'm uh I'm I'm pausing for us as we're as we're getting up our screens. I on my phone have transfer marked. Uh, they have a nice handy dandy transfer section, unsurprisingly, where you can look into certain leagues in particular and see any developments there. Um, I think one big shout out. Uh, that uh, for a team who's been getting a lot of scrutiny and a lot of, yeah, it's it, it's been a little uh, humiliating for a lot of those fans is is watching Tottenham and how they've been flailing a bit this transfer window. It seems like they've either um, missed out on certain players or been a patsy who's uh, who who teams have used in order to you know increase bids from others. For example, Luis Diaz uh, was actually in the mix for potentially going to Tottenham, and then he just went to Liverpool, and the Tottenham chairman and team is very upset with how that was handled because they feel like they were clearly used as just a bargaining chip. Um, But today, Tottenham have come through pulling in uh, Bentecourt and Kulisevsky. I'm just going to butcher it. Kulisevsky from uh, both both from Juventus, both uh, battle-proven, um, relatively young. I'm, I'm not top of the head. I can't remember what Bentecourt's age is. I want to throw 26 out there. But uh, Dejan Kulishevsky is very young um, and is, a, is an attacking, uh, promising young player. Um, so right off the bat, Tottenham, I feel like, had a good day. I think they still obviously need a ton more to do in order to keep themselves afloat, not just this year, but also um, down the line if they're trying to get into Champions League contention, top four, I it just really doesn't seem like they have, it almost seems insurmountable for them to possibly get there, but who knows under Conte. But that's that's the first thing I would highlight today. Any other, are they, are they, are they popping for you guys? Yeah, I've just got a quick three uh, names that have been in the Prem or are coming to the Prem. Um, Traore, he's off to Barca, so no more... Uh, no more fast man, no more big oily man running around the field for uh, <laughs> a strong oily man. <laughs> there goes that oily man. <laughs> uh, so, uh, big news. I personally don't, uh, see, I don't know, not my favorite player, but, uh, he'll be missed in the prem. Uh, Van de Beek moving from United to Everton. I just found that out, which is cool. I'll definitely keep my eye on him fantasy wise. I think he could be critical to their to their midfield, especially as Lampard, new coach, is uh, really helped. I guess bring him over to the team. So that's neat. And then finally, Erickson. Oh, Erickson, who had that big uh, Christian Erickson, who had that scare with the heart attack in the Euros. He is all about ready to sign for Brentford. Passed his medicals, so. Uh, I thought he was retiring, so kind of neat to see him back. I really hope he stays healthy, but that's cool to have him back in the prem. 
Um, and then another one that that I had uh, referenced earlier, uh, and I'm I'm proud of Icy for not spending too much time on Luis Diaz making the move over to Liverpool from Porto, I believe. Um, exciting, relatively younger talent. I think he's 23 or 24. Um, uh, winger, you know, has is arguably the best player in Portugal right now. So the FC Porto team and coach were, uh, you know, hard pressed to let him go. Um, but he has all of the physical attributes and, and data behind him that has demonstrated he's a hard worker, which fits right into the um, the Liverpool mold um, under Klopp. Um, what's more, it, it almost seems like a signal of intent that um, Mane is likely going to be out the door potentially this summer as as it seems like they are closing in on a new contract for Salah. And with Jota already in the team, um, Mane might be, uh, if the right price comes in, a straight swap for for Diaz. Um, he's exciting, he's young, and, and maybe also potentially a fantasy thing to keep on your radars for this upcoming back half of the season. Other big transfer. Guy I don't know too well, Bruno Guimarães. Guimarães went to Newcastle from Lyon in Ligue 1 for 42 million euros, so not too shabby. And there goes Newcastle spending some of that new money that we wondered how they'd be spending. So they brought him in. I don't know too much about him. It's interesting looking at the list of recent transfers, just how many loan deals there are. I'd say 80% plus, maybe 90% even, of transfers in January are loan deals. And if you don't follow soccer that closely, you might wonder how guys or gals move around so frequently from team to team. And the answer is a lot of loan deals where folks will get loaned out for uh, half a season or one full season with the option to buy. So it is kind of interesting to keep track of the loan deals on your own end because there's so many that go on. Uh, one for, for Man U and another young, exciting star that Jones can touch on where guys will just appear and disappear midway through the season. And it's not a, a final thing, but it's, could have an impact on the second half of either the premier league or another league where someone went to. Yeah. They, they say that doing a, a transfer in, in, in January is one of the harder things to do. A lot of these players are already settled down in some capacity. Coaches have a whole uh, system that's working in relationships. Pulling a player out of that system can be very tough. And so getting these deals across the line is, is notoriously hard. Um, but you do have then this um, proliferation of loans that come out because the, these aren't set in stone. You can come back after if, if unsuccessful, if too rushed. Um, one that is very exciting for me personally, yes, from Man U um, is, well, I guess there's two we should talk to since we didn't speak to, to Martial. Um, but Martial made the, made the move about a week or two ago. Uh, like I think it was about a week, maybe just exactly a week ago um, over to Sevilla, which is super exciting for him. I think everyone in, Okay. I don't know who really cares that much about him, but everyone is going to say he's, I feel like Martial is not a player that people hate. Uh, I feel like he is, he's not necessarily, he doesn't play the villain. He's not a, maybe a Bruno or a, I don't know anyone else from United for that matter. But he, he in particular, Martial is a guy who deserves his um, space to actually uh, show his talent. And it's really tough at a club like United. He's given the chance at Sevilla uh, this is a, a win-win. Sevilla is paying uh, pretty pretty steep prices for his his salary. They're they're covering half of it. The other half, apparently, Martial is foregoing. So he's actually taking a big pay cut to go there. 
Um, and uh, but the the really big important piece here is Sevilla actually has a chance of vying for La Liga. Um, and so bringing in that one additional weapon up top could be huge for them. And then for Martial, if he performs well, this is a World Cup year that they're they're entering. And if he can get himself back on the map, he can get himself into a, into a team that he was left out of last last cycle because he wasn't getting the game time and the exposure that he needed to. Um, so very exciting for him. And then the other player who's been loaned out is Ahmad Diallo. Ahmad is a reminder for the guys on this cast and anyone else listening is one of my favorite players, very young, 19 ish, maybe. And, uh, we got him from Atalanta last year, uh, for like maybe arguably too much money. He's like upwards of 30 something for an 18 year old. And he, um, he hasn't really played much scored a goal against AC Milan. If you remember pretty exciting, but he, um, he has been loaned to Rangers and in his first start with Rangers one, he started two. he scored in like five minutes, um, and then had like a half assist in the second goal was impactful, dangerous, and had the defenders, um, on skates. Very exciting. I'm going to be watching a lot more Scottish premier league now. Um, and, uh, and super excited for him to eventually come back to United and hopefully, um, show what he's got, um, next year. So tons of transfers excited about the Everton moves that Icy mentioned Lampard, another chance at head coach in the league for, uh, the Chelsea Piece didn't work out as much, worked out for Chelsea, not for him, but Van de Beek, another shot at doing something in the Premier League and getting some playing time. So we'll see, we'll see how that goes. That's pretty much it for today. We hope you have a great week ahead. And we hope you continue to listen for your shot at joining us on the Footy Fellas World Poker Tour. We will be holding virtual buy-ins and uh, bring your A game because Icy doesn't me- mess around, even though he's a, a whale. As the as the young folks say, baby beluga to me. Awooga. <laughs> we'll see you next week. See you guys. See ya. The cards don't exist. Just like crypto, the cards aren't real. So at that point. <laughs> Who wins? I don't know. They're, yeah, it's, it's a blockchain card system. So if you're bluffing, it's on the table. We know you were bluffing. <laughs>